This is part two uh, of a conversation that we had with Matt Waldman. Uh, when you're listening to this, it's after the Ravens beat the Eagles 30 to 28 in what turned out to be a pretty close game there at the end. I had some family issues uh, during this time after that game, so we're not able to record a pod to kind of recap that game. But we wanted to give you the second part of this conversation with Matt. And then also to let you know, we'll be back uh, with a pod next week during the bye week. Uh, so we'll get back on track at that point. Anyway, let's keep this thing moving. Um, keep me off of Sir Mix a lot. Um, Matt, see, I could turn it around and, and you know put this on you, but I won't. You're a guest. Not supposed to treat your guests. Not supposed to treat your guests that way. Um, let's talk a little bit about college skill position players, right? We're early into the college season. We know. Um, I think the Big Ten has actually started yet, right? Are they starting this weekend or did they? Yeah, this start? this Saturday. Okay. All right. So every, you know, we we got you know some some leagues that have started, some leagues that haven't started. Um, but obviously, with you know the amazing job that you do with the RSP, this is right in your wheelhouse. I mean, this is this is the, you study these guys like like none other. Um, you know, open blank slate here for you. Is there anybody that's caught your eye early on? Um, anybody who maybe surprises you a little bit? Maybe you were looking at them last year and then this year, like, huh, yeah, they're kind of kind of showing me some things I was hoping to see, and and, and now I'm seeing them. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a, certainly a good bit of guys, and you know, I mean, listen, that the you know, if my punch card gets to five or five or six episodes with this, you need to start treating me like family. So if that <laughs> happens, then then you know, then you don't have to hold back. But <laughs> we'll just start doing karaoke. We'll just straight do karaoke on the pod. <laughs> I don't know if people want to hear that, but I don't know. Maybe with y'all. <laughs> Who doesn't want ebony and ivory, Matt? Everybody wants that. <laughs> <laughs> you knew I would take it there. I see if you if you push me, I'm gonna push, and we're gonna just keep going, and, and then it's it's gonna that's get like, crazy. That's like it's gonna get crazy. Earworm song right there. For sure. <laughs> uh, All right, so yeah, okay, I'm gonna stop trying to hum. All right, so Rashad Bateman, <laughs> certainly a guy that like I mean, just from watching his tape, he and Jamar Chase at, at wide receiver. Um, you know, Bateman out of Minnesota um, and then Chase at LSU. Both those guys have declared already. Certainly I haven't seen them this year, but just from watching their tape, they're the real deal. Like Jamar Chase really knows how to synthesize all the elements of like the physical, the technical, um, and just understanding how to play his man um, in the situation to, to where he can win in tight coverage. He can just beat guys easily with his routes. He adjusts well with his quarterback. Um, I think this guy's for real and he's going to be, uh, you know, he's a big reason why people were looking at Justin Jefferson and saying, well, he can only play in the slot, you know, um, and or they forgot about the fact that he could play outside. But they, you know, they had some outside guys that could be really excellent. And Jefferson's intelligence for the slot really was a nice mesh. Bateman's a guy to me that he's fearless over the middle. And I've watched him against a guy like Kendall Vildor, who was a draft pick by the Chicago Bears, who played at Georgia Southern. And for those of you who aren't aware, at Georgia Southern, they had um, Kendall Vildor and they had another guy, I can't remember his name right off the bat, who 
they played press man coverage everywhere, and they had a great showing against Clemson and their receivers, like intercepting Trevor Lawrence, um, getting the best of better of Justin Ross and some of the other top receivers that they've had. Um, and, you know, Bateman did a really good job as a route runner against those guys, and he has the speed that you're looking for. You look at people talked a lot about Tyler Johnson, who's with the Bucks last year, and certainly, you know, he's a good possession guy, and he's showed that he could, like, not dwell too much on the fact that he was a rookie when he got his chance against the Bears and played well, which is a, a good sign for him. But Bateman, I think, as an athlete, in addition to the versatility that he offers um, on the outside, is really a nice player um, from what I've seen, you know, in that respect. A guy that also catches my eye and, um, you know, at wide receiver that's been, you know, is Reggie Roberson out of mm-hmm. SMU. He's a six feet, 200, um, 200 pound guy who I think really does well attacking the ball in the air. Um, I think that he shows some skill with his releases. He's just a really smooth player. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of I'm there with him. And then Sage Surratt out of Wake Forest. I really didn't like him when I first watched him. I, um, but now I'm starting to realize that why I didn't like him so much is that he has a place in the NFL. Like He has a role, but he's not an all-around guy. So like that role can lead to high production, but it's a, it's a real well-defined role. He's kind of a, either a big slot or an outside guy who can go up and win the ball. Um, but... He's and he's certainly very comfortable, you know, in traffic. And and so that's a real um, positive with him. And then, I, you know, just to talk about some quarterbacks um, right now, as, as you guys may know, you know, who are listening out there, I'm a Browns fan, um, Browns, Ravens, conflicted fan. And every time I watch every time I watch. You know, the Browns offensive line that makes me feel like I'm watching a Ravens type of offensive line. Every now, every time I see that they have a guy like Grant Delpit who got hurt and I could see what they might have in him if he can come back and what they have, you know, at Miles Garrett, you know, at defensive end. And then they have Nick Chubb and, and Kareem Hunt and the toughness that this team can be. Just kind of that quiet toughness that can, you know, even with Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham, those guys will get after it in the run game in terms of blockers and they're tough guys. And I think, and I look at that and I, and I look at all that and I just shake my head and go, they drafted Baker Mayfield. <laughs> they drafted Baker Mayfield. I And so I was never a fan. I thought at best he's like a Jeff Garcia hopeful in terms of like, and Jeff Garcia was a Pro Bowl player yeah. at times, but you know, he's a, he's an offense. He's kind of more of a manager than a playmaker. Yeah. And, and so, you know, Baker Mayfield's allergic to stepping up in the pocket. He can't, I don't know if he can't see the lanes between the, the linemen and he's trying to look over it and he's too short or he's, he just doesn't feel comfortable in there, but it's not for him. And they've managed him this whole time. So when I see Trey Lance at North Dakota State. Oh, it's Chris's guy. He's my guy, too. That is my guy. I, and I got berated by a friend of mine by the name of Gene Clemens, who writes with Emory Hunt at Football Game Plan, because he's like he felt like me and Mark Schofield were a little irresponsible for for being so high on him. And we kind of had a conversation. I sort of very civil, one, but he's just like, I just worry about these guys because, you know, they 
they get pumped up, and I just don't think he's as ready as someone as Justin Fields. But we just happen to have a disagreement about well, players because I'm like, I look at Lance, and I love how he throws the ball. I love how where he places it. There's things that, you know, maybe he doesn't have as much experience as Fields, but it's not like Fields has a ton. No. And and looking at, you know, looking at what he does technically in terms of his footwork with his drops, I think it's better than Justin Fields. I think his ability to execute what he does in terms of, you know, manipulation and doing things in order and being able to be quick with his feet, like the baseline fundamental skills he has, I think, are stronger than what Justin Fields has, and I think that leads to him to being able to grow a little faster in certain respects where some people will go, well, I love the mind of this player. and Look at the big plays that he makes against top competition, but then when you get in the NFL and they can't lean on that stuff as much because their fundamentals aren't quite as strong, it's not like Fields lacks fundamentals. I'm not saying that, but like Lance's are just strong enough, and I see him on a team like San Francisco – like Minnesota, like Cleveland, where they have that nice offensive line. They can run the play-action game. They'll run that rollout game where he excels. And Trey Lance reminds me a little bit of a player who was my absolute favorite player, um, you know, in, in my time, which was Steve McNair. So mm-hmm. and so when I see Trey Lance, he's not – he may not – no one's ever will be as tough as Steve McNair, but he was – he has a he has some of that stylistic play where like he can run and he can run for a little power and he's got some speed but he's such a good thrower and McNair was such an underrated thrower of the football um, and so good rolling to his left or to his right so like to me Lance Lance is a guy that I'm really excited about and then I would probably say I'm just fascinated with De'Aaron King like I watched him last year. And I liked him, and I, I was on the Ross Tucker show and last year, and I talked about him, and I could just see Ross kind of like I, – I didn't see the look on his face, but I just could imagine him just going, hmm. <laughs> you know, I was talking about him. But I think he's kind of in that same vein that, you know, he's I think he's being underrated a bit because of his size. Yeah. Um, and that's a common – that's a common fast, but he's such a good playmaker. And he has moments where he can be a little erratic with his decisions, but there's some decisions that he makes that I think are flat-out pro caliber. So I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to seeing a little bit more about him. So those are some players that really kind of stood out to me. Well, Chris, I got—I feel like I got to let you 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 chime in here because he, he definitely hit one of your guys in Trey Lance. You put me on to Derek King back when he was still with Houston. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like I got to let you kind of jump in on some of that. Yeah, um, D- Derek King, I, I was watching him against Clemson uh, this past Saturday, and I was just like, can can he just play in lifts? Like, would that make everybody feel better? <laughs> <laughs> because the, the guy could play, he can play quarterback. He's yeah. just short. He can play. He's just short. Yeah, I mean, he's not, I'm not saying, you know, he's going to be the next Russell Wilson because, you know, that's the go-to for every short quarterback. <laughs> he, he's not going to be the next Russell Wilson, but he can be a productive quarterback in this league. And he can definitely he can replicate Tyrod Taylor's career, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. He can he can be that, in my opinion. You see a guy. He's not just an athlete. He, he he's scanning the field. He's stepping up in the pocket. 
sometimes he'll make boneheaded mistakes and, you know, he'll be off with his accuracy. But, I mean, that guy's a quarterback. He's not an athlete playing quarterback. He's a no. quarterback. You know, and the same thing with Trey Lance. Trey Lance, I told Mike because I watched him maybe like a month ago. And the only exposure I had to Trey Lance was watching the championship game against uh, James Madison last year. Uh, because I was watching the uh, pass rusher from uh, North Dakota State, uh, Derek Tuska. And uh, I'm like, oh, okay, this dude is cool. You know, he's a, he's an athlete, you know, big guy. You know, I saw him r- running people over. Uh, didn't really see much from him in the passing game. So when I sat down to watch him, that's what I had in my mind, that he was going to be, an, you know, an athlete. Um, but when I put the tape on, I told Mike, I was like, whoa. Yeah, like, this yeah. guy, this guy is a a quarterback, yeah. like yeah. not just not just like, oh, he can sling it like his ball handling, his dropbacks, like everything just looks like he's a seasoned vet almost. Yeah. And it's be- it's better than some quarterbacks that are in the league now. If I had the <laughs> chance to take him right now over, over Baker, Trubisky, over Baker Mayfield. <laughs> oh, without a doubt. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't think he's. Yeah. And then everything. And you can see it like it's 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 ingrained in his head. It's not something that he's that he's working on. It's not something that he's on the field and trying to keep it in his mind. It's just something that he's naturally gifted at. And obviously I'm not taking it away his work ethic. He obviously works on that. But it's just ingrained in him because for him to be a red shirt freshman last year, because that's the take that I saw was the red well that's pretty much the only tape that's available uh besides the one game that he played but a red shirt freshman and for him to be as far along as he is is i mean i was just yeah. i was amazed i couldn't believe it yeah yeah he's a I, and that's hard i mean i think the fact that you bring up that he's that's already fundamentally ingrained in him that's so important and it's just one of those things that i mean Honestly, I take him over Justin Fields. I like Trevor Lawrence maybe a little more right now, but based on the team and what you're looking for, if you're, if you're, and especially if you get to interview these guys and you think about the fit that you want your player to be in, I, if the Cleveland Browns took Trey Lance, I would be thrilled. That would like I would be like that. That would be probably one of the, my favorite picks, other than the fact that they picked Nick Chubb. So like that was like. You know, to to Nick Chubb to me, when they picked Baker Mayfield, I was like, good, I can stop being a Browns fan. (laughs) uh, That's literally, I was literally like, I would because I'd go on those radio shows and they'd go, they'd go, well, who do you like out of this quarterback class? And like one year it was like, they're not going to do it, but Patrick Mahomes, like get Patrick Mm. Mahomes, get Patrick Mahomes. The next year, who do you like out of all this? They're not going to do it, but get. Um, Lamar Jackson, like yeah. Cleveland with Lamar Jackson, uh, that that would be sickening. You know, they get yeah. a running back, they get Lamar. This could be nice. Didn't do that, so I'm like, you know, and the year with Lamar, it was like I was like, okay, great. They they picked Mayfield. I don't have to be a Browns fan anymore. I can I can cut this off. And then they went and picked my favorite back and you're back like, in. You're right back I in. Like, I hate you. I hate you. <laughs> like you just like yeah. So. So, yeah, if they can amend that and get Trey Lance for that offense, because, like you said, the play action looks, the drops, all those things he does already is perfect for this offense. And the fact that he can place the ball and he seems to make good decisions for what they're going to ask him to do. I mean, 
shoot, De'Eric King, I would think, would be could be a possible minor upgrade to Baker Mayfield right now. <laughs> Even with some of the, the issues he has, I would probably be like, I'd love to see him in the game if they ended up with him and Baker Mayfield was like still supposed to be the starter. You know how that would be in that crazy situation. And, you know, it'd be kind of fun to see King going and not play him and then Cleveland have to figure out how they're going to deal with that. Yeah, I, somebody mentioned some of, of Mayfield's numbers this year, and I was like, those are, like, really bad. Um, but the running game, you know, has been so good, and it, it seems like they've been able to play the way that they sort of have to, to, like you said, Matt, to kind of manage him. I won't say hide. Hide might be too strong. Hide might be just right, actually. But to, to manage, you know, kind of, how he can <laughs> he sort of go off the rails a little bit at times. You know those bumpers in the you know those bumpers put <laughs> in the gutter guards? That's what I call that offense for him. So like, they put yeah. bumpers up on the gutters in the lane in the lane for him. That's what they're yeah. trying to do. Hey, I've I've been there when my uh I take my daughter bowling. We we put the bumpers up and we get the little dragon uh like uh slant slope thing you put the ball there and it rolls down <laughs> you don't even have to roll it yourself um, so you can't get any easier than that um but yeah i i was i, I just mentioned next i was like man those those numbers are considering you know that they, they've won some games i'm like man those, those are really not good numbers for a team that's winning some games but um anyway the last little nugget uh i will kind of throw in there about trey lance um i think I heard this, but don't quote me on it, but I think some of the coaches there at North Dakota State, they were thinking back to Carson Wentz. Obviously, people want to make that comparison um, because they're both North Dakota State. I think I saw that some of their coaches, of course, coaches never want to make comparisons, but I think somebody was really pressed and they said, well, yeah, at this point, the same point that, that you know, Trey is further along um, oh, than, for sure. than, where, than, than where Carson was at that same point by like a lot, yes. <laughs> not like a little bit, but like a lot further along. Um, at the, you know them being both at the same point. So, um, what what surprises me about Trey Lance is how much uh, the big draft media is is actually on him already. Oh, yeah, oh yeah. Um, that's surprising to me because to me I just like because I'm not I try not to go into these things biased, but I did see the game of him last year and I and I you know I'm guilty of it. I thought he was you know just an athlete. I didn't think he was you know this refined. But I don't go proclaiming these things on Twitter or, you know, on, you know, a national stage the way some people would. But uh, just the way that that he's already in, you know, top 10 articles, top 15 articles, and you see the buzz going around and he's in the conversation with the Trevor Lawrence and Justin, Justin Fields. Fields. Yeah. And, you know, that's I, I think that that's a good thing. And it, it shows a little bit just how far some people have come as far as the big media is concerned. Because if it was five years ago, I don't right. think we hear Trey Lance in this discussion with the, with those two guys. Yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely, th I agree with you on that. I, I think that you've seen guys come into the league over the last few years. And it's funny. I heard somebody talking about this who's, who's kind of in big draft media and it was almost like, I'm here. I'm listening to the comment and I'm thinking, why, why would this not have been obvious? But it was something along the lines because they were talking about quarterbacks specifically and they were talking about 
Lamar and Deshaun and, you know, even Pat Mahomes to some degree, a little lesser degree, but to some degree. And they said, well, you know, what coaches are doing now is they're realizing that these guys have certain skill sets. And so instead of trying to fit you into, you know, round pegs, square a hole into my offense, I'm going to design an offense around your skill sets. And I'm like, how is that even Shouldn't that always have been? <laughs> and I know it wasn't, though. I know it wasn't yeah. the case, but it just the way he said it was like like it was some kind of revelation that people just figured out, hey, this is how we should be constructing offenses around these guys. And I'm like, what, 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 why would you do it any other way? Yeah, it's a mind-blowing thing that people feel that way. But even talking to some quarterback coaches um, who work with, like, college and <laughs> NFL and CFL players, they talk to their clients all the time, and they're like, Unfortunately, a lot of coaches get hired on the basis of their scheme because it's the owner going, well, that scheme worked in, you know, in Minnesota. So therefore, we need to put that scheme here in Seattle, you know, and if and we're hiring you to do this, we hired you for this type of thing. So they get ego attached to what they're supposed to what their scheme was, as opposed to the player. And then the coaches view themselves as basically guys who were handling video game controllers. And a lot of players talked about saying that they felt like that the coaches are playing a video, act like they're playing a video game, and we're just like the components in the video game console as opposed to actually the the reason why you should be designing an offense. And it's bizarre, but I think that's what kind of is the unintended effect is that a lot of the coaches were hired and they get they get ego attached to the things because that's what the owners say they wanted. And that is a very professional segue into our next topic, because we are going to talk a little Ravens now. And I say that's a professional segue because I think uh, as Ravens fans that Chris and Carrie and myself are and Matt closet Ravens fan that he is, I think that we can all agree that the Ravens did what you just said with the drafting of Lamar Jackson, right? They let's, let's construct an offense that, really supports and enhances, you know, magnifies what this guy's skill set is. Um, and, you know, you can, you know, people obviously talk back in 2018 about, oh, he can't run this much, you know, it'll never last. And then obviously he goes on to, to dominate in 2019 and win the MVP. And now here we are this season. And so here's what this topic, I'll kind of set this one up and then we'll kick it around. So Ravens are four and one. Um, and I don't know if this is if this is kind of a national thing. It's probably more of a, a, a local thing for Ravens fans. I don't, I don't know if you hear it as much nationally. Maybe you do. But some fans, you you know, they're talking about the team, particularly the offense, as if they're one and four and not four and one. People are concerned about Lamar. Uh, people are throwing around the R word regression. Uh, people are concerned about the running back rotation. Uh, they can't quite you know, kind of find the rhythm with these guys and the right mix with these guys running games, kind of not doing what it did last year and maybe just the offense overall, um, you know, and it's funny how it ebbs and flows because in the Kansas city game, it was the defense, right? The defense is a disaster. This is a disaster. (laughs) And then they go out and they light Joe Burrow's ass on fire. Um, and, and now the defense is the best thing ever. Um, so we, we know how that goes. We and it's, it's funny, Mike, because the Chiefs game stopped blitzing the DB so damn Stop much. Blitzing. That was the thing. Stop and blitzing. then against Joe Burrow, Keep six, six DBs have a, have a sack. And Keep it's blitzing. the smartest thing in the world. 
in the Joe yeah, in the Cincinnati game, it's like, why are you only rushing four? <laughs> What's going on here? So, you know, that's that's how it goes with probably every fan base. We all have our, our niches uh, of, of complaints. Um, but, Matt, so I'll start with you uh, as you've looked um from from uh, you know with one eye on the Browns and one eye on the Ravens, um, what have you seen from Lamar this year? What have you what, what thoughts do you have about sort of the running back rotation in the mix there, or just any general thoughts you have on their offense uh, as a whole? Um, how how do you even feel about this sort of sky is falling uh, sort of talk with the team that's four and one? I think the sky is falling talk is also a little fantasy influence because if they're talking about regression then that's kind of a kind of a fantasy term that's very common. And I think that people tend to feel like that if Lamar isn't, you know, if the offense hasn't progressed to that next stage, because everyone was like, oh, the, now he's going to throw to the sidelines. Now he's right. going to be, be the perimeter deep shot player. Now they're working on that. And now that it hasn't happened, and on top of it, they've, you, you know, they've had, they had a bad loss against the Chiefs, and then you know the production hasn't quite been there as expected from that from the perimeter game. Mm-hmm. That I think people look at that and they they feel disappointed, and they see it through a fantasy lens sometimes, and then they apply it to a, a reality lens. So you know, I, I have to wonder how confident the the Ravens are with um, J.K. Dobbins as a pass protector. Yeah. understanding his assignments or reading zones as a receiver. I think the nuts and bolts of him being a good receiver are there. I think the nuts and bolts of him to become a good pass protector are there, but whether they're all tightened up and in place is yet to be seen. And they yeah. trust Mark Ingram, and Mark Ingram, I think, has done little to lose his job. So right. that's probably the, the conundrum there that people are – seeing, you know, that why the staff isn't doing more there and given and, and on top of it it is the but I can but I can understand the complaint of like he got one touch. You know, it's like give him five to seven. Like everybody seemed to get want to give um Justice Hill a bunch of touches. Yeah, they did. And and, and the <laughs> argument's kind of like you know, JK Dobbins is like is is a lot better than than Justice, you know. Yeah. Justice Hill is, and you know, Justice Hill isn't a horrible player, but it's like, you know, yeah, J.K. Dobbins outclasses him. So why would you just be so limited? And then we're given Gus Edwards touches, and we we know what Gus is. Yeah. Like, I mean, Gus is the hammer, and it's like, yeah. and you love that hammer, and it's like that's great, but it's like, you know, you do. It's like they're looking at a carpenter with a with a tool belt, and they've got like this trusty hammer, and you're like, we just bought you this new nail gun, like, and it's like versatile, and it can do all this stuff. Why don't you take it out and try it? He's like, nah, I like my hammer, you know. And it's like <laughs> that's kind of what's going on with with J.K. Dobbins not getting touches to Ingram and Hill, and then you know, I don't think Lamar's ever going to be a great perimeter player. I just don't yeah. think. That, uh, that's not his game, but it doesn't have to be. Um, I just think that, you know, as a result of that, they kind of have to accept who they are, and maybe they have to make some adjustments to things that they could do with their young talent. You know, like, Boykin, to me, is kind of a waste in this offense. Like, I I think he's got the talent to be good somewhere else. I think if, I think if he were in Buffalo, he'd be he'd – be, the way people are talking about Gabriel Davis, like, and better. 
Um, but like, I think he'd be he'd be good in that respect. But I just don't think he fits what Lamar Jackson does well. Whereas Devin Duvernay, as we talked about, I'm still waiting for them to like use him creatively because yeah. I think that if they if they did that little creative thing with him, that could pay a lot of de- dividends and it's something different what they got going on. And then there's the knee, um, you know, bruise or injury that he had that bothered him. And, and you know, I got a friend of mine who's a Lamar fan, but he lives out in L.A. and, you know, he's not a – he doesn't follow the Ravens a ton, but, like, He's he's texting me and he knows football and he and, and he's texting me. It's Eric Stoner who used to write for me, and Eric would Eric is like you're going to want to trade Lamar now. He's like you know the knees you, you know it's the knee it's begun and you know they're they're you know it's going to be one of those issues where you know things aren't going to be good for this year. You know if you're mm. a fantasy player, I don't agree with that, um, but. I, you know, I can see why people have that mentality. The first, the first time that they see something that could be a possible obstacle for a player like Jackson, because they see the run as such a dangerous component of his game, mm-hmm. that they're worried that it's going to disappear, that his whole game's going to fall apart. I don't think he's that kind of player. I mean, like I think, you know, I, I think he's more of a player because he's so good in the pocket. I actually think not being perfectly healthy if they run him a little less it might actually be a positive for his career yeah um, in terms of a growth potential because it's there like seeing the pot seeing the field and, and throwing the ball are strengths in his game and if he's forced to be a little bit more of a pocket player at times i'm okay with that and i think it'll help his growth some but um but yeah it i i think this team is just trying to find its legs and everyone had such high expectations for them to take it to another level that they're paid, that not only have they bypassed, oh, we have to be patient with what's going on because they've got some adjustments to make. They're more like they're they've skipped. Oh, it's just adjustments to something's wrong. Yeah. You know, and I think that's all it is. is they need to be patient. Yeah. No, I, I was thinking about that. Um, I was on a podcast the other night and that same point about expectations about kind of jumping. I'm like, well, look, if your starting point for expectations is a historic season and you say, okay, we got to do, we got to go to the next level. Well, what's, what's the next level beyond historic. So I'm like, if that, if that's, (laughs) if that's your expectation level, you're probably always going to be disappointed because, I mean, number one, I, I, it's going to be hard to replicate what they did last year, let alone exceed it. So anything less than that, if that's where you're starting from, then, yeah, you're probably going to be disappointed because they're not they're not there. And I don't know that they'll get there. That doesn't mean they're still not a good team and can't win a bunch of games and, and still, you know, even even have, you know, fantasy relevance. Um, but like you said, it's, you know, still kind of a developing thing. So. Um, I'll, I'll hold off. I don't want to go all the way down the rabbit hole with the stuff I'm thinking, but, um, let me kick this one around to the other guys. Carrie, what, what do you think, man? Sky's falling. Um, Lamar can't play anymore. Um, the running backs, uh, aren't as good. <laughs> what do you, what do you think about all this, Carrie? Yeah. Well, you know, it, you know, it kind of comes back to, you know, when I had, you know, you guys know I had that kind of come to Jesus moment with myself last week about the kind of unfair, yeah. Um, pressure I was putting on his team 
and just looking at it from a standpoint of, uh, you know, wanting to try to win the Super Bowl in October. And and I think that's what's going on here is that you know, a lot of thoughts, um, you know, from that perspective. Um, but I think when you look at this team tactically on offense, I feel like they're close. I mean, you see some adjustments being made and, and it's weird for us to be seeing this for a team that's scoring 30 points a game. Um, but <laughs> it's clear that things aren't quite clicking um, to the level that they would like it to. Uh, but you Definitely see that they're trying to make some adjustments on the fly. Uh, I do think those adjustments are noticeable. I mean, you can look no further than uh, at Abu Kari's uh, Twitter feed for that to see some <laughs> of the things. That are, who is that guy? <laughs> to see some of the things that are going down. Uh, you know, there's some intricate things happening uh, within this offense that you know maybe people aren't noticing or aren't giving uh, proper credence, but you know things are um, you know happening and. Uh, changing and, uh, you know, being adjusted as we go along. And I just wonder if those adjustments just start to entail shifts in playing time. And and maybe that's what sparks this to get to the level of, that, you know, people are expecting. You know, maybe there are some shifts in, in uh, the running back rotation, um, as Matt uh, pointed out with, uh, Devin DuVernay and his fit in his office, maybe if that's another shift that could continue to shift in a, a direction of him getting more playing time, which is kind of has ratcheted up. But, you know, maybe that that, you know, starts to reach another level as far as the amount of snaps he's getting. And maybe those adjustments, um, you know, kind of spark things to get this to a level that people are, you know, expecting. Yeah, that Abu Kari guy, Kerry. Why didn't he use his real name? What's, what's wrong with that dude, man? <laughs> that's that's usually how that's usually how Twitter trolls get down. Yeah, I know that guy clearly is a troll. He's yeah. clearly a troll. He's yeah. clearly a troll. <laughs> <laughs> He's a guy's clearly a troll. If you if you if you read anything uh, that he tweets, just you know, just troll his ass. Um, Chris, I'm going to now kick it to you. Uh, same sort of line of questioning there. Um, what do you think about Lamar's play specifically about the running back rotation, about the offense as a whole as Matt and Kerry have both hit on, um, you know, it's, there, there's, there's some patience that probably needs to be had here. Uh, but what do you think? Uh, yeah, I, I think it's important to remember that this is only Lamar's second season as the full-time starter. And, you know, so many times, I think we spoke about this last week, where we want to compare him to Pat Mahomes. Yep. And Pat Mahomes might he might damn near go down as the best quarterback ever when it's all said and done. Yeah, he's naked. He's naked. Yeah. And it's like it's it's so unfair to where we've where we've started. So when they drafted him, he was sitting behind Joe Flacco and you know, he was gonna sit and then maybe start the year after. Then he ended up taking over for him uh, the midway point of the season and the season was over because people said he couldn't play quarterback. He was a wide receiver, running back, whatever these crazy people said. And now we're at the point where he's leading his team to blow out victories and he's regressed or he's, <laughs> you know, the cliff is here. Like this is the cliff. Now he's, he's Peyton Manning his last year with the Broncos right now. Like that's the way people are, are acting. And it's not to say that he's been 
he's been perfect. No, not you know, not by any stretch. Because he, there are some you know bad misses that he's had, uh, particularly the Hollywood Brown down the field, and you know he he said it in his press conference a couple weeks ago that you know he he isn't playing up to his expectation yet, and I I feel like it's important to keep in mind how young he is. And, you know, he's still learning. He's still growing. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be perfect. And, you know, they, it doesn't just start out, you know, coming out the gate, like Kerry said, you know, winning the Super Bowl in October. And a vet like Mark Ingram just said, that, I think it was today or yesterday that Mark Ingram said, you know, the 2020 team is still trying to find their identity. And you always say this, Mike, each year, every team is a new team. Yeah. So this 2020 team is not the 2019 team. So they're finding their identity, but in doing so, they're still blowing teams out. So I don't see why people are, you know, losing their marbles when it comes to this Ravens team, because you watch the games and you know that they aren't there yet. But they're still winning handedly. I mean, of course, they have that, you know, terrible loss on Monday night to the Chiefs. But I mean that that happens, that happens. It, it's going to happen to every team. Yeah, you know. I and, mean, Chiefs just lost to the Raiders. I mean, look, stuff happens. You know. Yeah, and and almost <laughs> almost lost to the Chargers. Yeah, stuff happens. You know, it, it's it's the NFL. Like the every team has a chance. You know, as much as we like to think it's you know the Madden world and you know they got to blow this team out, it's it doesn't work that way. We already know that, and I, I just feel like people just. You know, take a deep breath, <laughs> calm down. Um, Lamar's fine. Uh, he'll 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 get things he'll get things going. You know, it's and I think another thing too that a lot of people forget is these guys missed a ton of time together yep. in yep. order to get on the same page. And I think as far as the running back rotation, I was I'm not gonna lie, I was a bit frustrated about it, but. Something that I forget who it was that brought it up to me, but they said it might have been Slade, a uh, big mm. play receiver. He's and, the intervention guy. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he was saying over these last two weeks when they played Washington and the Bengals, they wanted to treat those games, well, the, the end of those, like the second half of those games, as preseason games where we see Lamar throw the ball a little bit more instead of getting the running backs involved. And that made perfect sense to me. Like, you're up big. You didn't have a preseason. You might as well open things up and work on these things in an in-game situation and try to, you know, get these things clicking for the team. And that made perfect sense to me. Like, you didn't have a preseason, so you're going to make your own preseason when you're blowing teams out. Like, that just, that made perfect sense. And then that kind of calmed me down with all the running back talk. And I think the running back, the running back committee will will play itself out. Um, I think it'll work itself out. I mean, um, I think we'll see an increase with J.K. I don't think we'll see another one carry game. Uh, that's just egregious. But um, <laughs> I, I think it'll all work itself out. And I don't. I, I'm not going to sit here and say they're going to win the Super Bowl. But I do feel like this team is, you know, once they find themselves. It'll it'll really really get going similar to what we saw last year. Yeah, man, and you know, for me, I think I told you guys 
I said at the beginning of the season I wasn't going to chart plays like I've done the previous two seasons. I wasn't going to chart the run game. That's specifically what I've charted in 2018 and 2019. Uh, The the natives got so restless out there that I had to start doing it. So I started charting the run game, and I'm sort of working my way back backwards now. So I did the Bengals game. Uh, I did the Browns game. I don't know why I did it this way. I did the Bengals game, did the Browns game. I've done part of the Texans games. So it's kind of a weird order of doing it. Um, but the reason I like charting plays so much, uh, and again, I'm kind of putting things in my own language because obviously I don't know, you know, all of their terminology and or their coaching points or anything. You know, I'm not there, clearly. Um, but the reason I like doing it is because it helps me sort of more clearly see what maybe some of the issues are. And the thing that I've always reminded of ever since I started doing it um, is that when you look at things on an individual play level and you really try to understand what each guy is doing and, and maybe why something works and why it didn't work, it seems like it always comes down to the details. So it's easy, high level to say, well, the offense is bad. Lamar's not playing as well. The running backs aren't as good. But then when I start looking you know, through charting, I see the same things I always see. Individual details, right? Maybe it's a tech, you know, so you look at the O-line. Maybe it's a technique issue. Maybe it's a missed assignment. You know, maybe guys aren't getting off of those level one blocks and getting to the linebackers on the second level. Maybe in the passing game, it's a missed read. You know, maybe Lamar starts his progression on one side of the field um, based on something defense is showing him pre-snap. They adjust post-snap. And maybe he doesn't quite adjust with their adjustment. Um, there's all these little things that can happen on each individual play that can cause a play to be successful or not be successful or not be as successful as it could be. You, know, you can still complete a pass and have a good game or still have a, a good game in the run game. But maybe there was something more there. Right. So there's always these little things. And charting always helps me see those things. And whenever I do that, I always come away not feeling as bad as when I'm just watching live as a fan and I'm just like, ah, you know, this is what's going on. How come they're not doing this? How come they're not doing that? When you chart, it just, you know, you, you for me, I just see things more clearly and it, it usually um, sort of, you know, levels me out and I'm kind of like, okay, this is why this is happening. And, and I, I try to keep that mindset when I think about this and when I talk about the team, it's like, you really got to compartmentalize it to like each game. You know, these these broad sort of sweeping trends over multiple games over a whole season. I mean, maybe you can do that at the end of the season when you're looking back. But as they're playing, I almost I have to compartmentalize it because what you see in one game and how somebody plays, you might see something totally different the next week from the same player. I mean, there certainly are some things that carry over, but sometimes guys just play bad. You know, they just play poorly in a game for a variety of reasons. And they come out the next week and they play much better, you know, and there are reasons for that as well. So. I know that's not a, that's not the way that most fans look at games or view games. And as my wife tells me all the time, I'm not a real fan um, because I, 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 I just I look at it in a different way. Um, you know, the week leading up to the game, all I do is look at all the ways that the Ravens can lose to whoever they're playing. And then when the game comes, I'm very like dispassionate as I sit there and watch it. And then when I chart, it's just like it becomes this very analytical thing. And I, I, I just don't. There's no passion in it for me. I'm not like, oh, how can he do this? Or, oh, how come they didn't do that? Like, I don't I don't feel any of that when I chart. I'm just like trying to understand and learn, you know, so it doesn't. I don't know. Um, that's a, a look inside my, my fan psyche. Um, 
But I think what you're hearing from all of us Ravens fans, Ravens flock, is relax, right? In the words of Aaron Rodgers, everybody just needs to relax, right? And yep. kind of just kind of just let this thing play out and enjoy it. Remember, just just not that long ago, we didn't even know who we were going to have football, right? So we're here. It's been kind of a bumpy road lately with COVID, but we're still here. And, uh, you know, enjoy it because we know the NFL season goes by fast, man. And then, you know, everybody's clamoring for it once it's over. So just sit back and enjoy it. Don't don't do like I do and get all like super analytical and it's just not fun anymore. So (laughs) (laughs) enjoy enjoy the games. Right. Enjoy the games. It's supposed to be fun. That's why it's called a game. Um, All right. So now here's a part of the show where we don't limit ourselves to football. It's not that said football doesn't I, football doesn't define us. Right. We enjoy the game. The game is what brought us all together, uh, but it doesn't define us. Right. We're, we're, we we're people and we have other interests. So I want to give credit where credit is due. We're going to talk to pose two questions here to Matt. Chris came up with these questions um, as the great producer that he is um, <laughs> providing, uh, you know, just awesome content. Uh, so, Matt, here we go. Right. We're, we're putting you up on stage, sort of a this is your life sort of situation. I'm going to ask you these questions or maybe maybe more like an inside the actor studio. Yeah, I think that's a better I could be like James Lipton and uh, <laughs> I can be posing these questions to you. So question number one, man, what advice would you have for older folks? I consider myself an older folk, so I'm in that category. Older folks who might have some reservations about trying a new hobby or even a new career. As you know, Matt, us older folks, we get kind of set in our ways. Ain't going to be a little hard to, to venture out and try new things. What, what, what advice would you have on that? That's a good question. I mean, I guess, I mean, and for some people, older can be 30 because <laughs> they get they get ingrained in what they did. They went to school. They've got all that education to do something that they want to do. And then they're doing it and they hate it, you know, and, you know, it's interesting. And also younger folks too, because they're in their, you know, early to mid twenties, maybe they, they got pushed to do something in a certain direction and they think about their parents and what their parents had to struggle to get to, to where they are. And they got, they feel this internal pressure, maybe even external pressure to uh, fulfill what it is that they were supposed to do, and now they're doing it and they hate, they're hating life. Um, or, they, or maybe they're not even hating it. They just don't particularly like it as much as something else that seems way more appealing to them on the outside. Yeah. And so, you know, you get a lot of that. And they also have a lot more choices. I mean, you think about, like, you know, our parents, I mean, like, you and me for sure, you know, our parents, it was like you either got an education either in the workplace or in a higher institute of education, you went on the job market, found a career, and you worked until you got a pension and retired. Yeah. And, it, and that was it. Like, I grew up <laughs> thinking that. I thought, I mean, I saw my grandmother and my grandfather, and like they were, and my grandparents, and they all pretty much had the same job for 30, 40, 50 years. And that was all they did. You know, they did that one thing, and that was it. And that was how, and I thought maybe that's how life's supposed to be. Yeah. And I remember going to college and, um, you know, and my choice in terms of what I was going to do was kind of crazy to them anyway. So that was like another I heard near full about that. And then, um, you know, I, I took a class that was just kind of more for um, 
you know, just more enjoyment. I took like a creative writing class. I had an elective, so I decided to take one. And this woman walks in, uh, it was the professor, and she said, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my life, um, because I think this is important for all of you who are in this class. And she was probably in her late 50s, early 60s at that time. So she was an old lady at that time, you know, and I'm an old man, and I around the same age now and I laugh thinking that she's an old lady but um but she uh she said you know I, I went to this school and I met him I met a guy here and we ended up dating and getting married and I dropped out of school and we started a family and um I and I worked part-time and was a parent while he went through and helped put him through law school and he worked in a firm and became a partner and we raised our kids and when they all graduated, you know, I decided to go back to school. So I went back to school and then I went and got my graduate degree and I became a, uh, a psychologist who also wrote at the American um, at the AMA. Um, so I wrote for the AMA, had this career. You know, my husband was doing fine with his career. It was all steady now at that point. And he helped support me go back to school. So I was doing that. Everything was good. And then my father died. And I kind of started to have some thoughts about wanting to do something different than what I was doing. And part of it was I wanted to write for a living. I wanted to write novels and back when novels were still a thing. So, um, you know, she she had friends through the university that she had went to who who were, you know, at this very university that we were at. And guys like James Michener, who was a well-known travel writer. And this guy by the name of Saul Bellow, who's basically been uh, he's been um I want to say he's won a he's he's been nominated for a Nobel Prize in literature at least. I don't know if he's been if he's won one, but he's a great American writer. And you know they they had known him, and she said, you know, I have this idea for this book, and but the protagonist in the book is a an adult woman with Down syndrome, and. And she t explains to him what it is. And he's like, well, yeah, of course, send it, you know, because, you know, that's pretty much what people are always hitting up authors at cocktail parties, I guess. So, like, he's like, yeah, I'll listen to it. Just just like musicians get tapes all the time, I'm sure. So she, they read it, and they each were like, this is actually really good. Like, this is, like, publishable good, but no one's going to publish it because no one's going to publish a, a book where the protagonist is a, an adult age woman with down syndrome and she ended up getting it published and ended up getting nominated for a pulitzer prize um and she ended up getting a job at the same university she dropped out of teaching creative writing while writing books um for a living and she said you know i've you know when you count up the number of jobs i had including being a mother and 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 a wife to someone who i'm putting through law school and then like helping manage what they do as they get on track in addition to going back to school and all of that. I've had a number of jobs in my life. And she said, studies say that your people your age, this was like me in, at 21 in 1991, you know, are going to probably have seven jobs, seven different careers during your lifetime. And when I heard that, it kind of blew me away and it scared the mess out of me because of someone who grew up, as I told you, you know, in that that frame of mind that like you get an education or an apprenticeship you start your career you retire and you die <laughs> i mean that's basically <laughs> you know that that idea was like i don't know that's scary 
But now I look back and it's like I've had multiple careers. And at 35, I I did leave. You know, I, I was a director at a company that was the largest, oldest and largest company for um, call centers. And I could have easily at 35, when my life started to change, just moved to Atlanta and further my career in that industry, get paid a lot more than what I was probably making in Athens um, and do or move or, or and then I was offered as well to move to New Jersey where their corporate offices were because I was already a corporate employee. I just was working out of the Athens offices there and work, live in New Jersey and and move up the ladder that way and, and do that. But I, I love there's something else I wanted to do. I never planned to have this career in the first place. So um, the point being is that, you know, for me, my life had changed enough that I was alone. Um, I, I knew that this was something that I wanted to do. I was able to make a big investment. I took a 60% pay cut in my salary to start over work, basically managing a mail room at a university. Let me tell you, that's not a demanding gig at all. Um, so, <laughs> um, and then I ended up working at the university and then a year later I was working as a magazine writer in a, in a place where basically the people that I worked with knew what I was trying to build, like from a football standpoint, one of them was a former staff writer at sports illustrated who used to be my mentor. So he, he knew, he knew how all that, that was going. And they, they pretty much had a, a gentleman's agreement with me that like, they put me in an office with no windows and said, when it's busy, we expect everything to be on time. We expect everything to be great. And we expect you to do what we ask you to do in terms of the workload. If you, uh, but when you have free time, because things, we have a lull in, in the college, you know, system here, we have a lull. If you want to do podcasts, you want to study film off of YouTube clips, you want to write scouting reports, you want to write articles for other people. Um, I don't know anything about it. (laughs) 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 And that was, and I was able to do that for 10 years while I built my business. So, and so I was very fortunate that I had that kind of environment. So if you're looking to change your business, know that you're going to make a lot of sacrifices. Um, and depends how old you are and who's in, in it with you. If you're married and you come home one day and say, honey, I'd like to, take a 60% pay cut and do this, or I'd like to do something that's going to take up a ton of my time. And, and I don't know how many years it's going to take for me to be able to make that kind of money. Your spouse has every right to say, I didn't sign up for this train, you know? And, and so you need to make sure that, um, that the person you're with understands that know that if you're alone, that you may wind up still being alone for a long time um, while you're doing that kind of thing because you're starting over, you know, and a lot of people your age might be looking around if you're single and going, I'm not signing up for that. I'm looking for someone a little bit more established. And it's not to say that people are being unnecessarily materialistic. It's just being realistic about, you know, they don't know the outcome of how that is. I mean, I tried dating in the middle of like starting the RSP while I was like a year into the RSP and my ex and I had split up and I'd given her all the furniture and I kept the cats that they kept bringing home because they, I didn't know where they were going to move to. And 
they want to make sure they were safe. So at one point in my life, I'm 36 years old and I took a 60% pay cut. I'm single. I have nothing in my house but a desk and a computer and a bed and seven cats who are roaming around in and out of the house um, and nothing else. And I'm going to date like, yeah, that's probably not a, you know, you know, and I laugh because it's like, you know, what's funny though, is I met my wife because like I, I beat people online and then we'd go out and go to Atlanta and they find out I lived in Athens and that was like living in the moon. And then they'd like, we'd talk about my life a little bit more and you could just see that drain out of their eyes. Like, yeah, this isn't going to, this, that's too much risk <laughs> or he might be crazy or whatever it is, you know, cause I think I was crazy for that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, at the same time, you know, when you, you know, you meet the right person, they understand how that is. And, you know, my wife ran her own business and she, she, she knew, she saw things as potential in terms of where that was heading. And, and, you know, we both saw each other for what we were as opposed to what our circumstances looked like. And, and it's worked out great, but you know, I have a, I have a partner who understands and if she, and she signed up for it, you know? So like you need to, that's the advice I give is you need to have a partner to something who, who's either going to be okay with it and will sign up for it and don't demand them to, to make a change on something that they didn't sign up for. They're going to, you know, if they, they don't want to go with that. There's good reasons why. Um, the other thing is you need to make the different, figure out whether it is a hobby or something that you might love. And you can always try it out as a hobby first. Cause like you said about watching football, Michael, I mean, it's like, to me, I always compare it to chocolate chip cookies. It's like, if chocolate chip cookies are your favorite dessert, you know, one Sunday eating a plate full of chocolate chip cookies is a lot of fun. Yep. Eating a plate full of chocolate chip cookies as your meal every day <laughs> is not fun. And it's not. No. And like there's days you can make it fun, but you're going to look and go, I could sure use a salad about right now. Yep. Um, and that's the thing that you have to understand is can you love the process of what you're doing? Can you love, you know, and do you, what else do you like about it as a business and understand what the business might be as opposed to whatever it is that you want to change? And, and can you make it a hobby and come home to it? And, and also look at what are the passions in your life? Like if you're thinking about making a change at this point, is it because you've lost your passion in something else? Like, you know, and not identifying what those passions are. Is your passion, your family, can you make that, make sure you renew that passion of, for your for your family if you have one is your passion something outside of the house and some people can some people are good at working their passion some people like my daughter she's seen my wife and I and she knows that both of us like to work our passions and she's like you know she was someone who was talented enough to go to a design school to design clothing and nearly had a, a big intern an internship with a big fashion house and even like Gulfstream like jets wanted to like hire her without a degree to just do like upholstery in their like in, in their high end jets. And she and she had known people from the walking dead who were like working costume sets, you know, she's talented at that. And she was like, I don't want to do this anymore. And my wife nearly had a conniption because it was like, <laughs> you know, she grew up that time period too and was like, no. And, you know, and for 15 years, my wife also was a single mother, you know, before we met. So for her, that was also a big deal. Mm -hmm. um, 
And we had to talk about that a lot and just kind of go, you know, look, you know, she's she's not going to be happy doing this and she's going to make a change at some point anyway. So let her figure it out. Let's let her figure it out and be there for her and not tell her I told you so and go through all that. And she figured out that she liked the nine to five. She's like, I just I don't want my work to be my passion. I just want to get in, get out and pursue my passions outside of that and have the time to do that. And it's like nothing wrong with that. She's a Marine now. She lives in Hawaii. Um, she just bought a house and she's like thrilled. She she loves her life, you know, and it's vastly different because she just she goes in and she goes home. So. So, yeah, that's that's kind of where that goes. It's great advice, man. As usual, sage advice um, that that point about, you know, you having, you know, say you've got a, a hobby or a passion and about having to love the process. We talked about football and the chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> I think back to last year, even in 2018, but there, there are points like when I'm charting run plays and you're in, you know, maybe five, six games into the season, um, you know, it, it, you can feel it later in the season too, but you know, I wait for the coaches film to come out. So I get a break, you know, maybe three or four days in between charting, but you're doing it and you're kind of just going through it and you're just kind of churning and you're grinding and then, you know, the next, uh, you know, coach's film comes out and you're looking and it's like, okay, there's 80 plays. And you're like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I just do not feel like doing this again. And then I'll start. I mean, for me, I always, I always just had to force myself to start. And I would always tell myself, Mike, just chart the first play. Just chart the first run. And then if you still feel like this, then just, just don't do it. You know, step away from it. Maybe come back later that day or the next day. You know, we we were doing it for a series of articles. Uh, it was to support a series of articles. I wasn't writing them, but I was giving them the the charting stuff. So, uh, you know, there was a deadline, so I couldn't I couldn't take too much time off. But I would always tell myself just start, just chart the first play. And usually, by the you know, if I could chart the first one and then the second, third one, then I was in because what would happen was, you know, so in your mind you're thinking about it before you start, and you're thinking, man, eighty plays, I got to go through eighty plays. So you're thinking about that. But then once you start, this is where the passion part comes in, right? This is where the loving the process part comes in. Because once I start, then I'm like, oh, look at this. Look at this double team block. Man, look at this technique. That was beautiful. Look at it. So you get sucked in and then I'm then I'm cruising. Right. Then I'm just in it and I'm, I'm going through play after play and, I'm, and I eventually just knock it out. So I know that the passion is there. I know that the love is there. But I also know that it's as a hobby. And that I wouldn't want to necessarily try to monetize this in any way, like get paid for it. I did that for a year uh, back in 2018 and I stuck with it the whole year, even though like halfway through, I kind of knew I didn't want to do it. But I committed to doing it for the whole season. So, you know, I wanted to honor that. But I think that's the biggest thing that doing this um, in a, you know, I don't want to laugh at even calling myself a professional, but I mean, I was getting paid to do it. Um, but that's what it taught me was that. I love this as a hobby. When it became what felt like a job, I didn't want to do it. So I know that now, like I just told you guys, I started charting plays again, but it's because I want to. You know, I'm not doing it for pay. I'm not doing it for an article. I don't have deadlines or anything like that. So for me, it's just understanding where that hobby fits. Right. Don't try to turn it into something else because then it changes how I feel about it changes. Um, so for me, just specifically with football, I mean, I got other stuff. Chris and Kerry 
will tell you they 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 know I love history, uh, and so read a ton of history, um, try to learn a ton about different history, and um, in light of everything that was going on in the country over the last couple of months, I really dove back into like the Reconstruction area period history, and it's ugly stuff in a lot of ways. It's 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 there's stuff that's really good. And stuff that you look at and you're like, man, they were doing that back then. Black people were doing that back then. <laughs> we can't do that now. So, you know, there's, there's, there's black Congress people and, you know, all kinds of positions of, of influence that people are holding, you know, right, right in the early parts of Reconstruction. And then, you know, Jim Crow comes around and everything goes to crap uh, and then it gets really ugly. But I love that stuff. Right. It's a passion. But I can remember when I taught one year uh, as an adjunct professor teaching pre-colonial African history and it was it just became a grind. It became an absolute grind. Um, so there's there's just something there for me about learning when you're passionate about something. Try to understand where it fits in your life. And, and for me, at least trying to keep it in that place, because then when I when I try to turn it into something else, it changes. Yeah, that's that's um, great stuff. Yeah, that's that's great stuff. And. You know, what What made me think of this question is um, it's actually a conversation I had with my mom and my mom. She's 55, no, 53 now. And, um, you know, she's she has some reservations every time when it comes to starting something new, whether it's exercise, whether it's delving into, you know, a new hobby or, or something that she wants to do. It always takes her a long time to get into it. And like you said, Mike, sometimes all this, all it takes is just showing up, just doing it. And then eventually you gain that momentum and you start doing it. And it's something that I, that I've had to deal with too, because it's like, you know, you, I, I used to write a few years ago and it was cool. You know, I, I, I liked it. Um, but then once you have young kids, it's like all of that just changed. Like I don't have the time to write um i don't because i think the main thing that i took away from you know the, the few years that i was writing was just how much time it takes to to watch film i think that that's the thing that a lot of people just gloss over it it can take you damn near a whole night it could take you two weeks to just finish an evaluation for a player and it's it's time consuming stuff and it does get, you know, to, to become, I feel like that's just a beneficial thing because I, I, I just, I don't see anything bad happening with someone trying, you know, trying something new, no matter how old they are, no matter where they are in life, just trying something new and seeing where it leads you to like Anthony Bourdain is a perfect example of that. Anthony Bourdain was, you know, drinking all the time, overweight, um, you know, when he was shooting his show and later in his life, he got into jujitsu and he became, you know, just addicted to jujitsu. And he was already in his late fifties, I think, or somewhere in his fifties when he started doing jujitsu. And it's like, damn, a dude, you know, in his fifties got addicted to jujitsu. And it just, that just shows you like, it's, it's never too late to, to you know, make that leap and and to start something new, and and not be afraid of where it will take you. Yeah, that 
that that taking the leap step seems to be you know the the, the hardest part because look you know we all like to be comfortable we all like security we all like um you know the known um you know as much as people say oh i like surprises then nah, you really don't you really don't like them. <laughs> you know you you kind of you kind of like not knowing a hundred percent maybe what's coming so you like that element of surprise but you kind of also want to know a little bit about what's going to happen um so yeah taking taking that leap step um you know cornell west always has a has a good quote about that that i love where you you know you you step out on nothing and land on something you know so you just (laughs) you don't know what's out there and uh you're kind of uh you're taking that proverbial leap of faith but you know, for me, that's always been an area where I grow, right? I typically where I experience the most growth in, in areas of my life, not just, you know, we're talking about football, but I mean, it's, it's everything in life where I was really comfortable doing a certain thing and, and had to do something different uh, or wanted to do something different. And I was really nervous about it. I didn't know what was going to happen. Just even the thought of it, I was really like uncomfortable with. But whenever I've done that and taken those steps and kind of stuck to it, you know, sometimes it's been some fits and starts, but where I've just kind of really tried to like persevere through it is when I've grown the most in life and like learned a lot. Uh, anytime that I've run away from that and I've run away from it a bunch, um, <laughs> I don't feel like I've had those growth opportunities. Uh, I feel like I've kind of missed out um, in hindsight. You know, you don't know that when you when you make the decision not to do it. But in hindsight, I kind of feel like, man. Uh, I probably should have gave that a chance. So it's not easy. I mean, it's easy for me to sit here and say, yeah, don't be afraid. Step out on faith. I mean, that sounds great, but I, I'm, I'm not living your life. So it's, it's certainly not an easy thing to do. So that's a good question, man. Carrie, you have any thoughts on that or anything you want to say? No, I mean, I think you guys pretty much nailed it all. I, I'll, I'll just say kind of the almost the kind of piggyback off our, our um, talk last week. Uh, in the simplest terms, like you, you get to choose it, like you get to decide it, you know, like you said, Mike, um, you know, you can go out there and, um, you know, do whatever it is you feel like you need to do looking for happiness and looking for this, uh, thing that you may never find, but you can, you can do the work to kind of construct it. So, you know, just don't be afraid to, you know, step out there and, and, Whatever it is you feel like makes you happy, just just zone in on that and then take that and, um, you know, see where that leads you. But, you know, just know that you're in control of that. Yeah, that book, we put that book. I don't remember the name of it now, but we did put that book, Carrie, that you mentioned last week. I put it in the show notes. And, man, it's so on time because what Matt described about his daughter and that book, kind of the theme of that book of constructing your own happiness, like you, you got to build it, you know, you can, you can go out there and pursue it. Maybe you find it, maybe you don't, but if you want it, you got to build it. And it sounds like this is what she did. You know, she went out and she built her own happiness. She could have continued in the path that she was on and obviously was very talented in that area and had many opportunities, but she wanted something different <laughs> and, she, and she constructed it. So, um, you know, uh, that's awesome that that she did that. Um, you know, hey, we're all just trying to figure this thing out. Um, <laughs> let's look at this next question, Chris. This is our this is our last question. Um, life advice with Matt Wallman. I like this segment. It's a good segment. 
you're the best person to get life advice from. Um, Chris, you you might have to shed a little light on this for me because uh, I I don't know if I if I can do it uh, can explain it as clearly as you can. So dealing with imposter syndrome in the football industry, you're gonna have to help me um, understand, Chris. What what is imposter syndrome in the football industry? So it's just where you you kind of question your own work sometimes and your own valid, validity in a way where you see other talented people and you start to look at yourself and you're like you question am i as talented as this like is what i'm what i'm producing is it as good as what this person's producing and you kind of get down on yourself a little bit and and i think it's something that everybody goes through at some point or another where you may feel like you're not you're not up to a certain standard where you in your mind you think you should be and it's sometimes it's just your mind playing tricks on you because that 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 does happen from time to time so i just wanted to know how it well first of all if matt has ever gone through that and how did he get through that if he did that's a great question and i think it's a common one for just pretty much in this industry for sure in any industry once you get to a certain level um uh, that you, you know, maybe you had a goal to become a director somewhere and now you're like a senior director and you're talking to people in a, in a boardroom and you're like, I, it, you know, you went beyond what your expectations were. And now you wonder if you belong there, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, for me, I have certainly gone through that with football. Um, and I actually wrote an article probably a few years ago about Devonta Freeman um, when studying him and what I missed with him from the standpoint of that I was going through a, my own personal feeling of imposter syndrome um, in the sense of that I felt like that I needed to be more cognizant of what other people thought about him as opposed to just staying true to my own process and my own belief of what I saw in the player. And I think it's common that you can see all these voices and people are you know, they sound very, they're very articulate and, and they have success and, and they talk about different things. And, you know, a good example is Josh Allen this couple weeks ago, you know, Lance Zerline comes on to Twitter and I have lots of tremendous respect for Lance and what he does at NFL.com. He's a hard worker. His dad, you know, obviously being an old line coach for the Steelers and the Cardinals and, and Lance grew up around the game and he certainly knows people in the league. And, um, you know, he got on there and started kind of saying, you know, I'm, I apologize, kind of apologize for my take about Josh Allen. He's turned into a much better quarterback than I expected. And I feel like that the draft community owes him an apology, you know, for the way that they kind of looked at him. And, you know, maybe in the past, I would look at that and go, wow, I need to like reassess his game in the same way that maybe I need to go. People are going to ask me why. You know, you had Hakeem Butler rated extremely high and he hasn't done anything. And now he's maybe a tight end with the Philadelphia Eagles. You know, what have you learned from that? And, you know, what I've learned is, you know, one that I've looked at Josh Allen and my thought was he's playing better. He's playing. He's developing. That's good. Hasn't faced a zone team that plays heavy zone and can blitz four. 
and 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 he has gotten away with the three to four decisions that are bad that he's made in every game so far this year. And those three to four decisions won't fly in the playoffs. So am I going to look at someone like Lance and think, I don't know his process. I'm not in what he does every day and how he goes about things. I admire what he does. There's things that I'm sure he does much better than I do. Um, but we're going at it from different ways. So I'm not going to change. You know, I have to realize that when it comes to imposter syndrome, that's when your compass is kind of off. Like, and you're starting to question the validity of your own compass. And the problem with that is, is that your compass is probably right. Um, and you've just started from a different direction and you're heading in a different direction. And if you're doing it, if you're doing it in a careful way and go about your work in a careful way, you'll come to the con- similar conclusions if they're truths. Um, and you need to do them on your own time. And you need to realize that you are on your own time and you're running a race against yourself, you know, when it comes to this. And and you're competing with yourself more than anything else. Um, because if I the same process that I used that caused me to rate Dante Pettis and Hakeem Butler highly is the same reason that C.D. Lamb is the highest rated wide receiver I've ever looked at. It's the same reason why Nick Chubb was on equal par with Saquon Barkley. It's why Lamar Jackson was a quarterback and and was much more of a quarterback in the pocket than Josh Allen. And I still think that's true. Or that Patrick Mahomes was the best quarterback I've watched. Um, you, you know, and I can't say that those folks said the same things about those players. Um, so, you know, I'm going to be wrong about some guys that they're right about. They're going to be right about some guys I'm wrong about. But the 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 but at some point you have to kind of look at it and go, I'm going to disagree with people or I'm going to see really great work that people have. And it shouldn't cause me to question whether I'm good enough to do that um, or whether, you know, there's things that will I'll look at and go, this is an area where I can improve. I can get better in this regard. Um, but, it, you know, you know, there's a there's a level of where you you want to have the difference between I got to get better and feeling like destroyed by the idea that you can't do this at all. And I think we all go through that to an extent. Um, but it's a but it's something that as you as you move forward, you kind of have to realize that it's going to be you know it's going to be okay. Like if you really want to do this, you're going to get better. There's going to be you're going to make mistakes. You're going to make bad mistakes. And if you live your life seeking what the public seeks from you, then you're going to get destroyed all the time. You know, I mean, like I remember Will Blackman, you know, after the first Giants game um, with the, the Browns in the preseason, you know, and I was writing about Nick Chubb and saying, you know, people were saying he was awful, that like Nick Chubb wasn't good and that he looked slow and that he wasn't making good decisions. And I had a footwork, I had a footwork um, professional basically trying to lobby to get me to somehow say that Chubb needed his footwork fixed so that he could possibly have an end to like get, you know, to get him as another client. I mean, like it was. And then Will Blackman's like talk about, I don't know how anyone could say that this guy is on the same level as Saquon Barkley. And, and, you know, there's a part of you that wants to be nasty back and kind of say things like, well, you know, 
you are a cornerback. Cornerbacks can't even tackle running backs. So what do you know about <laughs> running back play? You know, and then it's like, and then I'm like, I'm being silly because it's like, of course he knows things about running backs. But it's like, um, but I have to trust the fact that I studied him. And that's an important, you know, that's an, and I have to honor that process and trust it. And there's a point where you can't just let, you know, you can't let people, you know, you just kind of have to look at some point and just go, yeah, I've heard that before. I'm going to hear it again. I'm going to have people tell me I'm a hack when I'm, when I'm not. And it turns out three years later, I'm right. And then when I'm wrong about something and I say, and somebody praises me for what I do, someone's always going to bring up, well, what about this guy? What about that guy? I'm saying, yeah, I failed on those guys. There you go. You know, you know, people still buy my work. I still make a living. Um, people are extremely happy with my product. So at the end of the day, um, I think that's more important than I got those two guys wrong. You know, <laughs> you know, like those type of things. So you have to you kind of have to play that game with yourself and just understand that it's like if you really want this, it doesn't matter what other people think. And and, you know, to that extent. And you can't allow that to dictate how you move forward. Yeah, it's funny. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine uh, along these same lines recently. And, you know, he, he actually still does write, does, you know, some football writing. Um, but, you know, he, he is kind of self-conscious. It's just like I and, and you know, we talked about it um, because, he you know, he was just sort of asking me. because He's like, I know you don't write anymore, but you did for a couple of years. And, you know, were you ever worried about, um, you know, were you write the stuff that you were saying? Because, look, when you kind of kind of dive into the waters of like X's and O's and scheme and you've not coached before or played in any high level. I mean, I was a small, slow cornerback for one year in high school and I've coached like youth level flag football and basketball and soccer and stuff like that. <laughs> so then when you dive into that world of, um, you know, breaking down concepts and scheme and talking about techniques, uh, yeah, I was always self-conscious about that uh, when I was doing that series of articles because I I, I, I didn't know how much I didn't know. Um, but I tried to learn as much as I could. I tried to educate myself as much as I could. I, I studied on my own. I talked to people. Obviously, I, I dropped down, uh, you know, over $1,000 twice to go to the Scouting Academy. <laughs> so I tried to invest in my knowledge, my knowledge of, of, of what I was writing. And all of that is great. And it certainly helped me. Um, but it's still, you know, I was, I was going to be wrong about certain things. Uh, and, you know, he had gotten to the point where somebody had given him some feedback and was almost paralyzing, you know, because it was, it was really critical. It was really critical. Um, and, it, and it humbles you. Because, you know, you, you're kind of going along and you're thinking you're doing a decent job. And then you get something like that. And it's like, oh, terrible. <laughs> you know, the person doesn't say that to you. But, you know, so many words, you're like, oh, I, I, maybe I should just stop. Maybe I should stop doing this. I don't have any idea what I'm talking about. Um, but I told him, I said, but look, you can't let that stop you. Right. I mean, if anything, you use that as fuel. Right. You take a look at the things that the person is saying. See if you agree with it or not. First off, um, it makes sense to you. And then if it does, you know, you try to learn from that. 
And you kind of really try to delve into those areas and, and say, okay, let me let me see if I can kind of, you know, get my knowledge up in those areas. Because I said, look, you're passionate about this stuff, so, so and you enjoy it, so keep doing it. You know, if somebody else is going to come in who, who's more knowledgeable, and we both agree that this person who's giving feedback was more knowledgeable than him, more experienced. Um, but that's okay. Um, so it's tough. It definitely is tough. And I mean, I didn't stop writing because, you know, I, I felt like I was, you know, somebody sort of talked me into that, like, hey, you're, you're, you're trash. You need to stop writing this stuff. It was more of a lifestyle choice, like you talked about, Chris. It just, it just didn't fit in. Um, in terms from a, a time commitment, because to do a good job, what I felt was a good job, like my standard of what a good job was, it did take me a long time. Uh, and I'm a slow film watcher to begin with, because I got to put everything in slow mo um, <laughs> and watch it like multiple times uh, to make sure I really understand what I'm seeing. So it takes me even longer than probably it takes the average person. Um, and then I got to actually write. So it just wasn't working from a, a, a time resource kind of thing. But I didn't lose any confidence in it. And I think if anything, by not writing for the last two years, as I've continued to like study and try to learn, I feel like I know more now than I did when I was actually writing. <laughs> and I think the writing would probably actually be a little better if I was actually writing right now. Um, but that's okay. Um, you know, everybody has to do what fits in their, in their life. So yeah, it's just a very long winded way of saying I've, I've been there. I'm still there uh, certainly from time to time, but uh, I always try to take that uh, and, and put it into and to put it into proper context. You know, is it somebody just trying to troll me? Then, you know, F them. Is it somebody who, you know, I, I respect their opinion and I, I respect what they've done. And there's something there that maybe I can learn from. Then OK, I'll take that. I'll take that constructive criticism and I'll, and I'll try to get better. But I'm not going to let it stop me um, because I don't want to. Stop. I'll stop when I want to stop. Yeah. <laughs> so. That's yeah, and I, that's, I think that's the most important part. It's uh, just not letting it stop you, because uh, I, I, I feel like it's something no matter what what field it is, uh, where you, you're going to deal with that imposter syndrome at one point or another, and it's it's something that everyone goes through. So it's how you deal with it is I, I think the more important part is what what both of you are getting at is just taking that and trusting yourself and trusting the work that you do put in. And like you said, Mike, you, you invested in your knowledge. So you, you have that in your, in your head that, you know, I, I, I know what I'm doing. I'm, I've taken the proper steps to know what I'm doing. And when I have those, those, uh, you know, moments of doubt to just lean on, on, on that, on that, uh, that knowledge that you've gained and, and just, keep going forward and, and doing what you need to do. Yeah. And always being open, even, even with the little bit. And I, I want to stress that, uh, Chris and anybody else, the very little bit that I think I know, <laughs> I always try to keep an open mind that, you know, if, if I write something, uh, about a scheme or a concept and somebody, uh, sees it and says, Hey, that's not what that is. Here, here's what it is. Um, I try to keep an open mind about that. And then again, to me, it's just that's just another way to sort of build that knowledge base. I don't I don't take that and, you know, look at it and get defensive. I, I try to I mean, sometimes I mean, it's human nature. Sometimes you're just like, ah, oh, you know, come on. But, you know, the, the practical side of me, not the emotional side of me will say, hey, you know, look at that. 
you know, examine it, see, see if that that's accurate and, and then try to learn from it. So uh, that's, that's been my approach ever since those kind of initial, like the first couple of times I started writing articles, I, I did, I did really let stuff like that get to me. Uh, but then just over time, I've just learned like, Hey, we'll just use that though. I mean, people are giving you information, right? It's not costing you anything. Some of it's garbage. Okay. <laughs> I don't need to listen to that. I have to be able to identify when it's garbage and when it's not. But some of it is actually good information. And right. people would reach out to me and say, hey, I really like your work. I really, I really, you know, think that you show some some promise. But, you know, I think there are a couple of things that, you know, you might you might need to sharpen up or maybe you weren't quite right on. And, you know, when they take the time to go through those things with me, that's a tremendous opportunity for me because I get that from coaches um, now, which I never did when I first started doing it. But now coaches, some coaches will reach out and say, hey, man, I don't I don't think you're right about that. That's a tremendous opportunity. And not that every coach knows everything because they don't. They'll tell you that. Um, they'll look at things sometimes. They're like, I don't know what the hell's going on out there. <laughs> so, um, you know, there's nobody that has the market cornered on any of this stuff. So. You know, look, I know I've seen your stuff, Chris, and I, I've always told you, I'm like, man, if your life uh, afforded it and you wanted to do it, you could write for anybody that you wanted to because your stuff is excellent. Um, your player evaluation stuff is, is top notch, in my opinion. Better than well, anything I've ever done. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. And I'll keep sending it to you personally. <laughs> well yeah hey that's your choice you know you do what you want to with it because it's your work and like i said you know you 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 are where you are in your in your life but yeah if, if you you know ever get to that point where you're like no i am gonna i am gonna kind of give this more of a, a shot again you know when i have time yeah i don't i don't think you will have any issue and i'd say the same thing with carrie i mean people get a chance to read carrie's fantasy article every thursday on russell street report i know i read yep. it because i'm trying to find ways to beat you guys in dfs yeah. using your using your own plays against you <laughs> 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 and and you carry carry stuff is excellent too i mean you know there's, there, there might not uh be you know people across the fantasy industry who who, who know who carry is but they should uh and i think they will um you know in in due time so sure. um I, you know me, I, you guys know, I've talked about this. I feel like um, I kind of had a short window there and it closed. And so now I'm just kind of enjoying it and just doing it for fun. Um, but I, I try to, you know, support people who are trying it and, and, and want to, um, you know, really, really give it a go, who, who are talented like both of you guys are. Um, you know, I was just dipping my toe in the water. Water was too cold. So I jumped out, put my clothes back on. <laughs> so, so I'm good. I'm good. You know, I really am. I'm good. And I tell my wife all the time, she's like, hey, if this football stuff, if you can, get, if you can make the same kind of money doing this football, this football stuff that you do with your day job, by all means, do it. I'm like, well, we're, we're, we're not there yet. <laughs> So that that was the last question. Um, as we are want to do whenever Matt comes on, this is definitely going to be a two part episode. Super long. I, I, I uh, think so. Yeah, I mean, unless you're driving to New York or something like that, and you, you, you need something <laughs> to listen to on your drive, we could you could do this all in one shot. But uh, Matt, we just we can't thank you enough, man. Every time you come on, you give us all of this yeah. time, and we know how busy you are. Um, 
well, little. We, we probably really don't know how busy you are, but you give us all of this time. You're always really gracious with it. So just thank you again, man. We can't thank you enough. Well, I really appreciate you guys having me on. It's always a fun conversation, with, you know, when the four of us get together. Yeah, so look, as as we close it out here for the Ravens fans, I hope we didn't talk anything about the Ravens game. Look, they curb stop. What else do you want to know? <laughs> they move, curb move on, right? <laughs> so we got the Eagles coming up. I know we, normally we do like a look back and a little bit of a preview. Um, we wanted to do something different, and we always try to do that whenever we have man on. So, hey, Philly game uh, should be exciting. Very good defensive front. Uh, that they're going against there. Obviously, they're struggling a little bit on offense. But you just never know, right? It's the NFL. You just never know. So I hope they get this one because they got a really tough stretch coming up after they buy. I think they've got Steelers, Colts, Titans, I think, are in there. There's there's, there's yeah. a tough stretch coming up. So, um, you know, this is this is it. You're in the meetup right now. Um, so we'll get back to that next week, and we'll, we'll talk about that game. Um, you know, because people, people around here want to talk about the Ravens. Go figure. Uh, so until next time, everybody, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll get at you guys soon. Just got to figure out how to stop going through.